This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. As we mentioned, we continue our series of looks at the growing relations between the U.S. and Cuba with a focus on investment in Cuba. By the way, this entire series will continue all the way through the beginning of the month of April when there will be a special Cuba summit, which will be held at the NASDAQ. One of the people that will be with us there that day, CNBC's Michelle Caruso Cabrera, who is their chief international correspondent, and she joins us on the phone today. Michelle, great to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. First of all, let's talk about uh, Cuba and the importance it has to you. Well, my mother is a Cuban-American. She's an exile who came when she was 13 years old back in the early 60s. And so I've always heard a lot about Cuba from her and from her parents. And then as the chief international correspondent, um, it's this island that's so close to the United States. When you talk to business people, they think of it as potentially not politically as a 51st state, but it's so close. It's, it's you know it's another 11 million people that could be a potential market uh, that is so close that you don't have to worry so much about transportation and shipping yeah. costs as you would across the ocean. Yeah, and that's what we wanted to focus on here today and is investment in Cuba because uh, a lot of people expect it to be growing quickly once those doors officially open. One of the gentlemen who is uh, trying to be at the forefront of that is uh, Tom Hertzfeld. Uh, the investment professional has been uh, sizing up potential opportunities with companies that will be logical early-stage partners for the Cuban economy. And Tom joins us as well. Tom, great to have you on for a while. Well, thank you, Dan, and, and hello, Michelle. Hey. Well, your interest in Cuba goes back a couple of decades. How did it really all come about? Well, my field of specialization is closed-end funds, uh, and closed-end funds going back to the 1800s are the way that investors participated in emerging markets. So given that uh, we were based in South Florida, which is immersed in the Cuban-American culture, society, and economy, uh, and, we, and we know the Caribbean very well, uh, it seemed that the combination of being a closed-end fund expert and a Caribbean-slash-Cuba expert, uh, why not form a closed-end fund uh, to invest in the region? And, and that's, uh, that's how we did it. It's interesting because one of the uh, articles I was reading about you, you referenced uh, uh, the, the the old Jaws movie from the '70s as as, be, as being an interesting little a little play in here with the scene where Roy Scheider says he needs a bigger boat, and, and obviously this is a big opportunity for uh, a lot of people in the investment and in the business sector going forward. It's an opportunity not only commercially uh, as an investor, but to be involved in rebuilding a country is is very exciting, especially for someone like me who's been trading stocks since the 1960s. It gets a bit tedious, but but uh, being involved in in uh, agriculture and construction and uh, transportation is uh, just uh, so different for us and exciting. Michelle, what kind of stocks are are in the fund that make you think that they would? I mean, the basis of the fund is the idea that when relations are reestablished, or or to some degree we can do more business with Cuba, that the stocks in there would benefit. So, what are some of those areas? Well, uh, let me just preface uh, this, if I may, 
Um, we're in a quiet period oh, at the right. moment uh, with the uh, our publicly traded fund, but uh, we also run money for private accounts, and we uh, now we started an investment partnership to invest in Cuba. So. I'd like to just say any of my remarks now have nothing to do with uh, with our publicly traded fund. But uh, going back over 20 years, uh, we've looked uh, at you know almost every industry uh, uh, that we believe would uh, do well uh, once trade were resumed with Cuba, and uh, we've identified uh, hundreds of potential pro- projects. Uh, many of which uh, we can invest in now that are legally permissible to invest in now. But, I mean, at, at the forefront of uh, of the uh, sectors or uh, what we're looking at are telecommunications, uh, uh, building materials, construction-related materials, tourism, hospitality, travel services, marine transportation services, uh, and agriculture. That, those will be the, the first slice of uh, uh, that we're going to be investing in. And uh, the private funds, and uh, for our private accounts, the investment will be primarily in private ventures. That sounds ex- exciting. Like like what? I mean, we see when I go there, I see people starting restaurants, starting small businesses. Are those the kind of things that, that you're talking about? I think uh, at the beginning there might be uh, investment in mom-and-pop uh, businesses. That's actually one of the areas that, uh, you know, we, we can uh, invest in. But uh, certainly uh, uh, telecommunications, uh, it was just a, a deal announced, and that's something we're looking at. And construction materials, uh, Florida, uh, back and forth uh, commerce and, and uh, aggregates be, uh, between the, uh, Florida and Cuba will be a uh, major industry. Um, tourism, certainly. Uh, there is a tremendous shortage of hotel rooms um, in Cuba, which will lead you to look at the <clears throat> at the cruise lines because they actually have the most hotel rooms uh, available that, that could be put into use immediately. Um, and uh, agriculture is, uh, is something we can could invest in now. Food's exempt from the uh, from the embargo. And what's your your gut feeling, Tom, about when this will all probably get get going? Do you think it could be by the end of this year or early next year? I, I think so, but I've been wrong on that in the past. <laughs> Michelle's asked me that over the years. But uh, it certainly seems like uh, this is the year that it will happen. We have the Summit of the Americas coming up uh, uh, next month. So, uh, you know, I think that'll – maybe we'll see some that, – That is the deadline that the, the president was hoping – that when they got to the Summit of the Americas, that's when they'd be able to say that the, the embassies were reopened in both countries mm-hmm. uh, and that they had been able to finally reestablish diplomatic relations at that point. So that's yeah. why that's such a key event. It, it's interesting because um, one of the uh, companies I formed um, uh, 20 years ago, which, which is a private company, just my family, the name of the company is the Summit of the Americas. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and one of the funds you manage, ironically enough, has the has the ticker symbol Cuba, and that showed a very strong interest last year. So obviously the the interest level has really peaked up, and I guess you saw an unbelievable peak when the president actually made the announcement earlier on. Yeah, I, I can't talk about yeah. a public fund, but I, yeah. I, I, I would love to, but I can't. Um, Tom, why do you the, think uh, it is that I mean, you invest in the Caribbean? Um, why is it that... 
I don't quite understand it. I mean, on a personal level, I'm interested in Cuba, but it seems to me that the the mind print for Cuba is larger than any other island in the Caribbean um, relative to its size and its population, etc. Um, why do you think that is? Uh, natural resources, the literacy rate, uh, the industry, you know, the hardworking people. Uh, it's really, it, it is the hub of the Caribbean, and uh, uh, once trade is resumed, it, uh, I, I see tremendous growth for the country. We're talking with uh, Tom Hertzfeld, who investment professional who uh, is in, in uh, hopefully going to be in the forefront of investment in Cuba, and also with us, Michelle Caruso Cabrera of CNBC, who's their chief international correspondent. It, it has been it, it's been an amazing couple of months, Tom, with the fact that that just the opportunity that it's going to be open. But in terms of, of the country itself, we've heard so many stories about all of the different things that 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 the country needs. Is there you you rattled off earlier a bunch of different categories it could be, but is there one or two that seem to be the the most important areas that that really the country needs to focus on? Well, look at uh, the uh, historically the largest industries: rum, sugar, tobacco, tourism, mining, fisheries. But I, I always found it quite interesting. Uh, our office uh, and my home actually is is right in the port of Miami, and it, it has been for uh, all quarter of a century now. So as I look out the window, uh, and this is where many of our investment ideas came from, I, I, ju I just look at the harbor and the harbor entrance. I look at the cruise ships. I look at the dredging companies, the ferry boats uh, coming in and out, the terminals, the cranes. All you, know, you just think, think all of those are things that are, that are, are, are going to be right on the cutting edge of, uh, of the resumption of trade in Cuba. Do you think that – so – the United States is clearly trying to make it easier for you to go do business there. That's very clear. Do you think the Cuban government is going to reciprocate it all? Because a lot of people say to me, oh, great, Cubans will finally have the Internet now. And I say to them, well, you know, Cuba actually could buy Internet equipment from China. They buy food from China. They buy rice. They buy beans from China. But they don't buy Internet equipment. Maybe, maybe the Cubans don't have Internet because the Cuban government doesn't want them to have Internet. Yeah, Just I, because we can sell them stuff doesn't mean they want to buy the stuff from us, right? Um, yeah, I think it's 5% uh, penetration of the Internet. But uh, I think the attitude of the Cuban government is, is changing, and, and, and their willingness to uh, restore democracy and uh, political freedom and free trade, I, I, th I think uh, it's in motion. And so, uh, you know, it's just a question of how fast, not, not if. It, it, it's going to happen, uh, but just how fast. And I, th I think we're on a fast track. But it also has to be a mindset for, from their government as well that they realize that they have to make changes in order to be uh, you know, a country that is involved in, in trade. Obviously, they are with a lot of countries around the, the globe, but to even increase that level and, and make their country a better option for a variety of different things if they don't do these types of, uh, of deals with the United States and, and, and other countries around the, around the globe. Yeah, I, yes, I, I agree completely. It'd be interesting to see what, how they handle the prior claims issue. That's something we've looked at uh, in depth. And I've actually developed uh, with my team uh, an idea uh, in, in all of the countries where prior claims 
have been uh, an issue. They, they, one way or another, got settled. So I think that uh, there actually is a way to settle the prior claims by uh, exchanging them in part for shares in, in an investment fund. And, and eventually that fund, I think, could be the first stock listed in, on the Cuban Stock Exchange. Well, that would be like exciting. Be, if I could like explain to, to people what the prior that. claims are, the, um, the exiles who left behind property uh, have claims against the houses or the businesses that they abandoned. And then, separate and apart from that, there are hundreds of American companies and or individuals who had their properties seized in the early 60s by the Cuban government. And they have – there are a bunch of registered – what are called registered claims at the U.S. Treasury Department, and they are waiting to negotiate those at some hmm. point with the future government that is willing to negotiate them. And then the question has always been, to your point, Tom, is how do those – how do you figure that out? How do you settle um, people getting – some kind of remuneration for what was once theirs. Yeah, I, I would like to. Um, uh, by the way, one of my partners actually has one of the largest prior claims in the country. But I would like to uh, uh, create a fund, and give people who don't want to fight their claims out or wait for an eventual settlement, uh, if it's approved by the Treasury Department here and the Cuban government, we'd like to take claims in exchange for shares in a fund so that the people who who uh, may may be giving up their claims to a specific property might have a share in a large pool of, of claims, which we would then have businesses, create businesses and uh, investments in those businesses to develop the, the old cement factory or the sugar plantation or, or uh, something, something along those lines. You know, Dan, don't under, underestimate this. My mother still talks about going back and getting her grandmother's house. Okay? I, <laughs> so there's I, a lot of Cuban exiles yeah. talking I, about this. I, I would and, think I would think that 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 would really have a lot of people, Tom. Obviously, in the Miami area, but uh, across the United States, uh, really thinking about the opportunity uh, of going back and and. and in a lot of specs, uh, obviously, you know, finding that that level of security, but also retracing their heritage and, and being able to visit relatives that are, that are still down there. There's a, a lot of the personal aspect to this as well. Yeah, we, we hear it constantly, especially in uh, Florida. But you know, there's a generation as the generations move on, the interests change. For instance, if we created an exchange fund for prior claims, uh, we could it could be done where there were two classes of stock. Perhaps uh, the older generation might want an income share, but the next generation might want more of a growth opportunity and be part of the participating part of their heritage in Cuba. So the um, uh, you know the, I find the younger generation is, is uh, has slightly different view that, than their parents did or do. Yeah, and the polling data certainly shows that when you talk to the older generation. Uh, many of them tend to be just hardline supporters of the embargo, where the younger generations think, you know, it's time to move on and, and, and try something different. Tom, have you been have you been to Cuba at all? Call. I've always wondered. Um, do you get to go there as part of your uh, ideas I, of investing? I, I personally do not go. Uh, my whole team goes, including my children who work with the firm. They go on humanitarian missions. Uh, I just. A sensitivity to my friends here in Miami who, who asked me not to do it, I, I, I decided not to.
Dan, that, that, that's another issue, too, is that a lot yeah. of the, the older generation are very much say, I'm never going back to Cuba until Castro is gone or the Castros are gone. And they tell their children, don't you go back, and their <laughs> grandchildren. Uh, and it becomes a real in, – in, uh, within families, it can become really divisive. And, and that brings yeah. up, Michelle, what you, what you were talking about before is how much of a change will the Cuban government be once these doors are open – with Castro's son running the operation, running the country, uh, or do we really need to see a, a, a physical, another name other than Castro running the government in Cuba to really affect all the type of change that, that we're talking and maybe that we're expecting? Well, certainly the, the way the embargo law is written, the Castros have to be gone. Yeah. Um, but that being said, the you know, they've made tiny, tiny little changes that, down there that I don't think the government realized the impact that they would have. You know, they, they have this uh, announcement a couple of years ago. They said, okay, before, everybody had to work for the government. Everybody was a government employee. Sure. Every shop, everything. Now they say, okay, there's these 200 categories where you can work for yourself instead. Yeah. And the people who have started those little businesses are doing so well. Yeah. Compared to everybody else, I think the government there has maybe been taken by surprise. You know, you lift the lid of economic repression a tiny bit, wow, the impact is big. Well, and that's and that's a shift that obviously we've seen here in, in the United States for many, many years. But obviously, you know, with the way things played out, Tom, it it takes a little while to, to get that that movement going down to Cuba. But just the, the ability of small businesses to be able to be up and running uh, and have an effect on the economy, whatever that level is, I mean, that's a great way to start that, that, that groundswell of, of much better public opinion. Yeah, no, you couldn't be more correct. We're talking with Michelle uh, Caruso Cabrera of CNBC and also Tom Hertzfeld, uh, investment professional who is uh, investing uh, in Cuba and runs uh, several funds uh, regarding that. Is, is it a bit easier with respects to Cuba, Tom, with the types of investments that, that you would potentially make because – the need seems to be so great across the board. Uh, it's almost like you can you can you can sit back and pick and choose the the potential ones you're looking at. Um, there are so many opportunities that uh, it, 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 when we added when we add up how much we could invest, it's just billions. And uh, but uh, we've got a a list now that's legally permissible, and uh, and, uh, and we're pulling the trigger on that almost as we speak, and um, then there's a, a deeper list that, uh, as, uh, with, as we see the perhaps the embargo being lifted piecemeal, other opportunities, and then, of course, full resumption of trade is, uh, uh, is interesting. What's, uh, the interest we're getting is for many of the companies we're invested in, public companies, yep. where they, they want to go into Cuba. It might be a hotel chain, a cruise line, a construction company, a ferry company, an airline. And what we're trying to do is carve out pure Cuba investments where we can co-invest with, um, with those companies. Are those, are those primarily U.S. companies or are there, uh, there are, uh, companies from other countries as well? Uh, most of the companies we've been speaking to are, are U.S. companies, but uh, we've also spoken recently with Spanish, uh, Canadian Canadian companies, a few companies uh, elsewhere in the Caribbean. Uh, Mexico certainly uh, has a high level of interest uh, in expanding their current trade with Cuba. Now, that's interesting because all of those, when, besides the United States, all the countries that you mentioned, 
could previously invest in Cuba if they wanted to. Do they see something mm. about the change in the relationship with the United States that mm. gives them more confidence about being willing to do the investments down there? Yeah, they, 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 they're very timid. Uh, we met yesterday with uh, with uh, an agency for representing Japan, and they they have about a billion dollars that, uh, of unpaid debt from uh, from the 1990s. They're <laughs> still trying to trying to collect, but yet uh, I know that uh, we just you know we had some very positive discussions with uh, Japanese companies recently, and uh, I think uh, I think actually they many of the companies in these countries I think will use us as as the uh, way to uh, to expand and and develop new business in Cuba. So it sounds like you have uh, not only uh, the companies that you were talking about uh, that are, have the interest, but it seems like you have a, a, a fairly good list of companies that uh, in other areas that as things of the embargo are, are opened up, that these companies are ready to go and ready to invest as, as soon as those doors open up. They're ready. Some of them, uh, some of them are investing in, in our private fund, and and some of them are asking us to co-invest with them and help them uh, uh, create their businesses. Uh, our team uh, is comprised of some very prominent Cuban Americans, uh, and I, you know, I want to elaborate on it at the moment. But I mean, we have the expertise and and the relationships to uh, to help companies invest in Cuba. And can you talk, to, talk about the size in general? I, it, new emerging, and this is emerging, I mean, n- not even quite emerging, right? You wouldn't necessarily go many, many, many billions of dollars into a single investment, right? I mean, what, are we talking about investments that range in the, the single millions, less than a million, five million, I, 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 I 20 think, million? I think uh, at the beginning, uh, perhaps uh, 10 or 20 investments of 25 to $50 million. Each? At the beginning, at the, yes, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Wow, that that would be a huge amount of money going into the country compared to the foreign direct investment that they've had for the last 50 years, which has been almost negligible. And then we're we're targeting, as I said, uh, several. It's a set up in a series uh, of uh, as a series partnership. So uh, we have, we think eventually it'll be several billion dollars. It's just it's just once that door opens up, then it's really just going to be a flood almost, isn't it, Tom? Yes, and uh, what we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be viewed as the carpetbaggers either, which I think right. will be what uh, what the people coming in behind us may may uh, make that mistake. Well, how tough you is know? how tough is that specifically to deal with? Because that is a that is a perception that that you obviously don't want to have uh, attached to you, attached to your company. Uh, so it, it probably is a little bit of a tricky line to walk. Well, one of the uh, the the CEO of uh, the Hertzfeld Cuba Alternative Division ran a ran a charitable foundation as well as being a businessman. So uh, you know we're very sensitive to the need for Cuba to rebuild its its middle class, and uh, that's one of the things we're we're focused on. When you talk about the the investments that you're going to do there, um, clearly Cuba because of you know, the lack of rule of law. There's so many issues that make it a riskier investment, as is the case with when we've talked about emerging markets in the past. What kind of, generally, investors demand a higher return from risky investments. What kind of return, when you when you talk about those, you know, initial investments, uh, do you think you're going to get and over what period um, of time? Yeah, I, I don't want to, I think probably I shouldn't 
tell you what we're trying to make, but but you're correct. We're looking for returns in excess of what people would make in uh, private ventures uh, and more plain vanilla uh, investments. But, and uh, we want the risk. We, we, we people people who are investing with us are willing to take the risk. We want that risk. Tom, is there also uh, a, a correlating uh, uh, level of change that you will see in the Caribbean just in general uh, once the doors to Cuba open up? And I'm talking all the other you know, island nations down in the Caribbean, that once the U.S. and Cuba really get going full speed, that there will be an effect with other nations as well? Yeah, well, certainly there'll be a shift in uh, tourism, uh, a geographic shift. But then in, in terms of uh, uh, other trade, I think, uh, I think the whole the tide will lift all of the countries. I think there will be a shift in tourism, but the tide will lift other countries in, in the region. Well, Tom, when the announcement happened that morning, did, did you have any idea? I, I asked because you have been talking about investing in Cuba for so long, since I've known you, since I got to CNBC. When the announcement happened that day, what did you think? Uh, it, it was uh, what Dan said. It was that we need a bigger boat uh, <laughs> thing. But the, uh, uh, I, I didn't expect uh, uh, the announcement to go as far as it did. I, I thought it would be purely related to uh, Alan Gross. I, I didn't think President Obama would make such a historic change. Well, and and it's, it's, it, it was uh, truly historic. It'll be his uh, key point one of the key factors in his legacy. Yeah, and I was going to say, that that ends up being a very important piece to the puzzle, especially for President Obama over the last two years. And, and you know, you talk about uh, here in in the U.S. and on Capitol Hill, all the things that the president is trying to get done in his last two years. This obviously becomes one of the important things that he wants to get completed before the end of, end of his term. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's uh, certainly a very positive uh, achievement, and and, uh, and I think he will get it done. Great. Uh, Tom, I want to thank you for coming on. Michelle, I want to thank you for coming on as well. Great to meet you and uh, talk to you, and we'll meet you on the April the 1st. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.